Welcome to the Allies Podcast. I'm your host, Carmen Farino. Hello, this is Carmen Farino, and welcome to another edition of the Allies Podcast. Uh, With me is Anthony Sergi, the owner and president of Dynamo Productions. Anthony, welcome. Hi, Carmen. It would be uh, disingenuous of me to not also mention that you are the executive producer of this podcast and you're the one that got me uh, into doing this. So um, I want to start there. We've known each other for decades. Um, You did a bit of a right turn and decided you wanted to start a podcasting company. Give me a sense of um, why you started that. And then we're going to back into kind of your background and, um, and how you got into the business in general. So why'd you, why'd you want to do podcasts? Um, well, there's a couple, couple ways to approach that question. I mean, um, the, the reason I, I got into it was, uh, you know, coming off of the, the last election, um, I was kind of shocked with, you know, with, with what was happening in the country and, and the results of the election was, were a bit of a surprise. Um, you know, the greatest country in the world had just elected, you know, essentially a, a TV show personality, mm-hmm. uh, an expert in, in, in branding, um, but mm. with uh, no, no political experience at all. And it just, you know, everything that led up to that in the few months up in, in the months, I guess, years up to the election, just it, it kind of uh, it left a big impact. And so after the election, I, I a uh, few days afterwards, I called a friend over and, and we sat at my kitchen table. I said, you know, we have to do something. I didn't know what it was at the time. Mm-hmm. I just felt like um, I, I, I just felt like uh, I had been doing so much watching from the outside. I felt like I needed to do something on the inside. And so we sat there over uh, a couple of bourbons and uh, really solved nothing. <laughs> Came away with no <laughs> plans, but it sort of planted the seed in my head of, of, of you know, what can I do to, to make a difference? And so that's, that seed was planted. It took, it took a couple of years for it to go anywhere. Um, I th- thought through a couple of different things. And uh, one day I was online looking at one of the, some, some trade web- websites, as you know, I do video has been my, my mm-hmm. main background. And uh, I saw some story about some new equipment that was coming out that was going to help in podcasting. And I looked at it and I said, you know, this, this is it, this, this could be it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so bought some equipment, invested a little bit of money and said, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to try to do something via podcast. I mean, um, that's how we can get some messaging out and that's how it all started. Um, you know, and then once I had this equipment and once I had the ideas of doing this, I just, it just sort of blossomed in this idea of it'd be great to have, um, a podcast network as I was calling it, mm-hmm. uh, where we have, podcasts of not one podcast, but several podcasts that I would produce, not be a host or not be on the show or be part of it, but just produce it and put it together, yeah. find the right people who had something to say, some had some unique perspective about whatever topic they wanted uh, to discuss and see where it, where it would go. And so um, that started about uh, early, it was the end of 2018 is when this stuff all kicked off for me. <laughs> and since then we've... Um, I've had a couple of podcasts start um, and, you know, we got a few episodes in and they kind of died off um, mm-hmm. because it takes, it takes, it's a big commitment, as you know, to, to do a regular show. Um, but since then, we've, we've got a couple other podcasts. We have this one here that we're doing, Allies, which is awesome. Um, it has the best hosts in the world. And, I've heard. Uh, <laughs> and then, of course, there's the other podcast called The Guest in the House that's mm-hmm. hosted by um, a couple of guys uh, – David Shanks and Mickey Hess. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's uh, another one. If you have a minute, you should uh, tune in guest in the house.com. Um, and, and so here we are. Well, doing podcasts. so, so what surprised you about, um, about doing podcasts? What is it that you think about this medium of, of listening to people's voices have kind of long format conversations that, uh, that, that you think maybe a lot of people don't realize until they start to do it? Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, e- even now as I um, produce several podcasts, regular episodes, regular podcasts, um, I don't listen to a ton, mainly because it's a time thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, a lot of my time is spent with headphones on 
editing <laughs> podcasts or editing video. Sure. So I can't listen to podcasts in the background. However, there are a few that I listen to um, here and there, and I don't subscribe to anyone in particular, but I'll just you know stop in and listen to an episode of something or other, particularly on, on recommendations. And um, it's I'm instantly drawn in. And I think that most people who give podcasts of any kind a chance would get uh, pulled in as well. And, and I think it has a lot to do with um, human nature um, to be drawn in by storytelling. And a lot of times, of course, you know, some stories are more compelling than others, but it's kind of like, it's kind of like live music. I mean, when, yeah. once you're there hearing it, it just has a different, it just feels different. It sounds different. It has a different impact. And I think the same with podcasts. I mean, when you put the headphones on and you listen to someone tell a story, you, you just, you, you get drawn into it. I just think it's human nature. I think we're people of, um, you know, we're people that, that uh, like to have a, some sort of connection to the past, whether it's our past or some other past, just some connection to where we've come from mm-hmm. and, you know, how we got to where we are now. And hearing, hearing people speak on a podcast, um, it's kind of like a hybrid between watching a movie and reading a book because you <laughs> you hear the words you don't have to you don't have to read the words you hear them, but your imagination allows you to to build the imagery the way it works best for you and I think that's what's really compelling about listening to spoken word. Yeah, well, I mean, so so let me uh, I agree with you and I think that there was another there was a study that we had seen with um with talk shows where the the brain of people um, just in general can't distinguish between watching a conversation or listening to a conversation and participating in it. So they feel <laughs> like they know people. They just, yeah. it's a conversation that they chose not to say anything to, or somebody didn't hear what they said. And I think right. that immediacy of being connected to those people, it's why you feel like, Oh, I know George Clooney or I know, you know, right. Mar- right. Marin right. from his podcast. Um, but I want to, I want to go back. You, you said, you know, you've spent most of your professional career in video. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, I mean, audio and, and, and multimedia, but, but give me a feel for, um, how you got there. Where did you grow up? Uh, so I grew up in a small town in South Jersey called Hamilton. It's, um, you know, I often refer to it, it as farm country. It is kind of in the middle of farm country, although it's, it's, you know, it's not a ultimately rural town, but it's pretty rural compared to where I live now anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is just outside of Philadelphia. I'm in New Jersey in a suburb of Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always had a thing for, I was always kind of like that, 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 uh, <laughs> the AV geek, like, you know, I'll set up mm-hmm. the film for the teacher. You know, I just, I just enjoyed it. There was something about the physical aspect of, you know, um, setting up the projector and, and turning the switch and then seeing these images come through. So I, I always kind of really enjoyed that. Um, I didn't get into video proper until really, um, actually after college. Again, I, I had a, I had an interest, uh, and I and I worked in the the media center at school, um, but my school didn't have any film production courses mm-hmm. or anything like that, or any any kind of study track. Uh, so when I got done uh, college, I went to a local college. It's um, Rowan. It used to be called Glassboro. And I just sat in on a couple of uh, film classes because I, something I wanted to do. I I had some free time and um, that's kind of how I got started on the technical side of it. And then, um, you know, one thing led to another. I got, I got a job with a small uh, videographer, um, just as kind of an assistant. I made almost nothing, but I learned an awful lot. And Mm -hmm. uh, from there I went one job to another uh, doing the same kind of stuff, but each time taking on a little more responsibility. Uh, and then ultimately I got my, you know, the corporate, the, the in-house corporate gig <laughs> at Roman house company where you and I met, of course, mm-hmm. and, uh, learned an awful lot there from a great friend and mentor, Alan Friedlander, who mm-hmm. you know, well, yes. Um, and, and, uh, you know, once I, once I got around, uh, to accepting the fact that I wasn't going to Hollywood, I was able to just focus on, uh, making good videos for whatever the topic was, just trying my best to make it interesting and compelling. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I spent a lifetime doing that. Once um, once I left Roman Haas, uh, I started my own company and have been doing that same work for the past mm, eleven years now. Mm-hmm. What do you What do you love about 
storytelling. What do you what do you get out of that process of of making the story? It's it's one thing to enjoy watching them. It's another thing about making them. Yeah. Well, there, there's a lot of times it depends on the story you're telling. So a lot of my work is corporate type stuff, things that the average person would not want to watch on TV. Sure. Wouldn't, yeah. Wouldn't tune into. So my goal there is always to is the communications part of it, and that is that um, to understand what the message is that you're trying to convey to that audience and to make sure you do it effectively. Hmm. And um, that has always been the challenge. And and uh, that's always what I focused on. Um, you know, some people approach it more from the a more creative perspective. You know, some mm-hmm. might approach it more from a, uh, uh, you know, maybe a more business perspective, whatever. Yeah. Uh, my approach was always about making sure the message is heard loud and clear. Mm-hmm. And um, that's what I've always focused on. A different perspective here is if you're doing something that's not business related. So there are times, for example, when I've done uh, videos where you celebrate a person or an event. Yes. Or an organization that does good things. I mean, in those situations, yes, you want to tell the story. You want people to understand what you're trying to say, but you also want to um, you want to get them to feel a certain way. Or you hope mm-hmm. they do anyway. And so, to me, the big payoff there is the emotion. If you if you can make someone laugh or cry, mm. or act a certain way, or or take up a cause, then you've succeeded. And um, you know that's that's something that's probably the most uh, enjoyable part to me is to see how people are affected, particularly emotionally. Mm-hmm. Do you, do you find that um, you're, you're becoming more the expert of how to flip between different types of storytelling now that you've done it for a while? Um, that, that it's not just your technical ability, but also kind of the mechanics of, of you can see how something's going to turn out. You can see what the impact's going to be. Yeah. I think that's kind of a natural progression in this field of endeavor. Um, you, I mean, it's it's one of the the last. I don't know. I, don't know, I, I say it's one of the last sort of fields of uh, kind of like the um, a, a, a kind of a apprenticeships a, a apprenticeship type of situation yeah, where I when you come way. in, you might know, you might think you know a lot, but you still have to come in and and, and you know defer to those above yeah. you. you Got to come know, in humble. You really do. You really do. And but. Um, the benefit to that is that you you learn from other people, and so yeah. you um you learn what they've learned, and you build upon that. Um, and so, yeah, there is sort of a natural a natural progression that starts at learning how to wrap the cables the proper way, <laughs> uh, that that goes all the way up to working directly with with the client. And um, y- yeah, I, I have I have found that um, the more experience you get under your belt, the more you know how to handle different types of. St- of storytelling or messaging. Yeah. Um, and there's sort of a natural progression of that. I, my favorite part of this world has always been the production part. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a gear geek. I like to put my hands on cameras mm-hmm. and equipment yeah. and lights and light stands and audio and microphones. Um, <laughs> but over time, you, 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 need to, you need to take the knowledge you've used and then focus it on the most important part, and that's the, the message, the end, the end message. And so you start to allow others to do the stuff you love the most because you know you have to focus on what's most important. So there is a that natural progression. And, and yeah, I mean, um, you know, when you're in the middle of it, you don't see it. But when you step out of it and you get a question from someone on the mm-hmm. <laughs> on a podcast asking you uh, to look back, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, you spent when you spend 30 years doing something, you you've you know, you have to feel confident knowing that uh, what you've learned has got you to where you are now. So so I'm gonna I'm gonna say three things and I want you to just listen to what I'm saying and, uh, and respond to whichever one you like. Um, <laughs> okay. I'm only going to pick one. Go ahead. Yeah. You can just pick one. We'll, we'll go ahead. back to the other ones. And, uh, and I still want to talk about all the famous people that came from Hamilton, but we can get to that later. Um, <laughs> but there's, there's one, the one piece is there's a, there's a line that Neil Simon wrote in the goodbye girl. It's the end of the movie. And it's uh, Richard Dreyfus has uh, had this famous film uh, director come backstage after he's actually succeeded uh, on, you know, in a play on Broadway. Mm-hmm. And the guy comes back and he says, uh, so, you know, how about a movie? And the Dreyfus says, well, do you, you know, what do you mean? And he said, well, we could go see one, but I find making one more fun. 
<laughs> and right. I just, the, the, yeah. the idea of, you know, the doing of that is more fun. So that's one. The other one is Bill Murray in Tootsie, where he's a playwright. He's the roommate of Dustin Hoffman. And he says, um, you know, I don't want people to come up to me right after they see my play and say, hey, man, that was great. I want them to come up with to me two weeks later and say, hey, I saw that thing you did. What the fuck was that? <laughs> and, <laughs> and All I, right. And I, so I've got that. And then the last one is about you. If I am on location with you and we've been on location, in a lot of places yeah. and I see you setting up a shot, I can, I know I have at least a cup of coffee. I can go sit down. <laughs> I can go take a break because you are uh. me meticulous and you will get the light right. And you will make sure that when that when it's action and we're on camera that it looks beautiful that it sounds beautiful and that level of trust i don't know if you know that to have that level of trust to go into something when you don't have it it changes what you do on camera and i don't know if you've ever thought about how you settle people how alan mm -hmm. settles people because we know you're that good. So you can pick on yeah. any of those three. Give me a, <laughs> give me a response to them. Well, um, well, I'll, I'll, well, let me say, I'll, I'll start with number three and saying you, you, that's very kind of you. I think you give me, you might be giving me more credit than I deserve. I'm, I'm not, but that's fine. <laughs> that's fine. Um, and I do appreciate that. And there is something, um, to be said about, uh, there's the, in front of the camera, there's the behind the camera. Um, and someone in your position could look at what I do and say, oh, my God, that's that's so difficult. I don't know how you do it, but, you know, you do, you know, I, I trust that you're doing it well. And then I look at someone like you and I say, I don't know how you do it. I, I, I could never be in front of that camera. <laughs> so there is um, there is something to developing that trust between the person in front of the camera and you being behind it. Mm -hmm. um, you need to build a bridge. Sometimes it it's becomes a little bit detached. And uh, mm -hmm. the person on the other side kind of feels like they have to do, you know, they're there on their own because um, you're so caught up doing what you're doing behind the camera. But it's important mm -hmm. to make people feel comfortable and, and to give them that sense of comfort. And the more you work with someone, obviously, the more um, automatic that kind of becomes. So when you and I yeah. worked together so many times over the years, it, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's, you know, the person in front of the camera ends up just really is, becomes part of the crew. You, you end up all working together as a team. And that's that's really the the most exciting part about production to me is, is that I love working like in groups, you know, yeah. so that's, I love that feeling. Um, but, but I, I want to go back to the first, that first one you said, yeah. um, with Richard Dreyfuss, um, it's, it is, it, when you first started out in the business, that's all you want. You, um, when you're young enough and just getting started that you don't have, um, really that many uh responsibilities mm -hmm. then yes that's all you want to do it's like yeah we can see a movie but let's make one that's more fun mm -hmm. um and then of course with all things uh adult it becomes less and less fun when it becomes uh more and more a, a job yes um and so you know you go from and this is i think this is pretty common in this industry you start out starry-eyed um, pie in the sky. I'm going to be, you know, I want to go to Hollywood and make great movies. And then 20 years later, you've made a ton of corporate videos and, mm -hmm. um, things like that. But you make, you make your peace with that. If, if you can enjoy what you're doing in the process, you know, you can make the most of that process and enjoy it the same as if you were making a movie. Um, mm -hmm. so the, the idea of making a movie, doing something like that is, is always something that's, you know, it's kind of like, it's it's in your genes when you get in this business. You always yeah. You always hold out hope that you can get to work on a good project. And really, I mean, this, the, the discussion kind of leads me full circle back to this podcasting thing. I mean, the podcasting thing, yeah, it's not video, um, but we're telling stories, right? Mm -hmm. um, and the best part of this is, I, it, I, I no longer am doing this. I'm not doing the podcasting for a living. So that yep. I still do the video stuff, pays mm -hmm. the bills. I do this now because I can, because I want to, yeah. um, because it feels good to create um, without having to worry about, you know, did I hit that target that that other person wanted me to hit so that I can send them a bill and they'll pay me for the job I did. You know, now it's all about 
doing something for yourself and doing something for myself. And that's, that's where this whole podcasting thing is really taken off for me. I mean, there's, there's, there's no money in these podcasts I'm doing now. And, and uh, if it, even if there is, it's at the bottom of my list of my list of how I'm trying to build them. Mm-hmm. The most important part for me is, is, is the, t- the storytelling. We've taken the visual out of it, but we're still telling stories. Um, so it's kind of like going back to the earliest, earliest days of when I got into film video, you know, we wanted to do fun stuff because it's what we wanted to do. Well, this is it. This is what I want to do now. I, um, I want to give, uh, a venue for good storytellers to tell good stories. That's what well, this yeah. Is about. Yeah. And I, I, look, I, I'm going to give you an alternate version of, of this. You know, if you, if you see a $25 million marketing campaign for a movie, let's say it's, you know, road trip, the one with Seth Green, great movie. Mm-hmm. Um, that's 25 million was spent on <laughs> to market that movie to market. and it got to market, not to make it, <laughs> not to make it probably to another, it's probably another 75 million to make right. that movie. And it was, you know, it's a, it's a B movie. It comes out and they're asking somebody to pay, you know, at that time, what, maybe 10, $12 a ticket. So they sit down right. and they watch that movie. And, um, but people have been marketed to, there has been an enormous amount of, um, money spent because that's an entertainment. Mm-hmm. It's a relatively easy thing to say either they like it or they don't like it. The marketing campaign worked or it didn't for the yeah. audience they were going after. It's a lot harder to stop somebody in a business setting and get them to think about something, to sure. stop them long enough to watch something or to pass along a, a you know, a heartwarming story about say, you know, uh, a kid who was, who had dropped out of school and becomes a sustainable contractor, whatever that, whatever mm-hmm. the issues are. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would, I would argue that's a harder story to tell. Now it may not be as, you know, driven by money, mm-hmm. but I think there's, there's something about that, that I find in the way that you approach the story, um, because you are looking at, well, what's the stopping power that I need to have to get somebody to watch this? So I'm, I'm going to throw it back to you that way. Is it, is it more challenging? You know, if you look at Orson Welles, he made like three good movies and then he chased trying to do something bigger or different and he never really made anything else, you know? So with you, it seems like you're always challenging yourself to find a different way to tell a story, to take a harder story to tell and make it more compelling. Why is that? What drives you to do that? Well, do you mean, so... In general, whether it's, whether it's, whether it's podcasting, whether it's on video, like I always notice that you're, you know, we were just talking before the, before we turned on the mics that, you know, you're going to shoot a story about, you know, a a manufacturing moving from one place to another. Right. And they're going to talk about that story and you're going to come to that and it's, you know, it's a bunch of tubes. Yeah. Now there are people there who are going to care about those tubes and it might be a thousand people all over the world and some might have English as a second or third language. So you're going to use the visuals to tell that story because right. it, you know, might be told in two or three different languages, maybe more. Um, what drives you to keep finding different and interesting ways to get those messages across? Yeah. Um, well, is it like an intellectual challenge? Is it like just, you know, trying to live up well, to your own standards? Yeah, no, I understand. It. I mean, the, the reality is that um, <clears throat> some, some projects <laughs> drive me, uh, towards, you know, greater creativity more than others. I mean, that's, that's Mm -hmm. just the hard reality of it. I mean, um, you know, when someone from a company calls you up and and they say, um, we, we, we're manufacturing these widgets and we want to show people, um, you know, how to insert slot A and the slot B safely mm-hmm. and properly on five different products. There's only so far you can get sure. motivated mm-hmm. to really bring out the creativity. Now, you know, and then, I mean, there are mitigating factors. They can look at you and say, you know, we really want this to be crazy. We have unlimited budget. Well, yeah, then you can, then you can get crazy with it. Sure. But, but generally speaking, the, you know, those types of projects are bounded by um, financial and informational and time and topic constraints. And so you, you make the call, you decide, you know, where am I going to put my energy here? And, and mm-hmm. so ultimately when it comes to this corporate kind of stuff, you have to put your energy and your skills and your decisions into bottom line type stuff that benefits the business part of it. Um, but there are times when um, a company will say, we are, we're honoring 
10 employees for their uh, nonprofit work outside mm -hmm. of business hours. Well, then, well, that's that's different because, you know, that's that's not a business story. That's a human interest story. I mean, whether yeah. it's going to be used for business purposes or not, it's about people. And so those are the things that motivate you um, <clears throat> more. I mean, um, I, 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 you know, honestly, um, I am, a, I, I consider myself kind of like a, uh, a malfunctioning artist. Mm -hmm. So I have always been able to do creative things. If you tell me what, if you tell me exactly what you're looking for, I can get creative around it. I'm not yeah. a true artist. And that's why I, I have a, a deep appreciation for real artists, people who, look at a blank canvas and create something so unbelievable. You're like, wow, in the world do you even think of that? Yeah. So I, that, that's never been me. I've always been able to, um, th my creative outlet was to solve a problem. And then, you know, then I can get creative as, 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 as anyone, if you mm -hmm. told me what the problem is, but artists don't even, they don't wait for the problem. They create their own scenario. So, yeah. um, you know, getting back to, to, to the point, I would often put my energies into, the the storytelling part and, and the messaging part less than the actual creative part. I work with some guys mm -hmm. who put tons of energy into the creative. I mean, if you think I take a long time to set a light, you should see some of the guys I work with. They, you know, the mm -hmm. shadows need to be perfect and the angles need yeah, to be perfect. So, um, what drives me is is telling the story in the most compelling way. If I have an extra ten minutes to get an extra teardrop yeah. out of someone, I'll take it. And sometimes you don't have it, and sometimes you do. <laughs> That's so, true. Uh, well, then, the, the, in, in light of that, right, in light of the, the idea that some of it is, um, you know, if it's good, fast, cheap, pick two. Right. Um, and then other times you get a chance to do something maybe that you've, you've wanted to do or that yeah. maybe you didn't even realize was an interesting story. Mm -hmm. What's the weirdest video you've ever <laughs> shot? What's the strangest oh, one you've ever done? Oh, wow. I wish you had told me you were going to ask me this. I've, I got to think about this one. Um. So I'm going to, I'm going to give you a chance to think, cause I'm going to tell you a quick, a quick short, a quick short story that okay. happened with me. So I was, uh, I was starting out. I had just, uh, was looking for work in New York city and, uh, I got a, um, an advertisement that was in the newspaper and I, uh, sent in a resume. It was for a cut lines, captions, writing magazine. The magazine's headquarters were located right behind, uh, New York public library in midtown Manhattan. So they said, come in for an interview. So um, they didn't really say what magazine it was. They just said it was like a, it was a glossy magazine and they, and they needed people who had experience with that. And I did, I had been doing that at a daily newspaper. So I showed up and I get to the offices and it was porn <laughs> and they sat me down and they showed me their publications and I was writing basically the description of what you were looking at. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, you're, you're a 20 something and you're, assuming you're mature and yeah. I'm, I'm looking at, you know, pretty graphic things and they're asking me, you know, how I could, you know, did I have trouble writing, you know, similar, similar captions to stories over and over again? And I'm like, well, horse racing, you know, that, that, you know, they don't always win by a nose. Uh -huh. uh, it doesn't happen a lot. Um, she's like one length or two length. And I find myself telling the story while I'm looking at, you know, pornography and thinking probably yeah. length is maybe not the, maybe right. it's highly relevant. I don't know. Um, but I eventually said, uh, I said, no, I can't take this interview further because I wouldn't know how to put these in my portfolio. <laughs> and that may be, have, have been the strangest thing that I ever um, had the opportunity to work on. Um, but have you found yourself <laughs> in the middle of a project going like, yeah, this is. Yeah. This is yeah. And it's funny because as you were starting, you know, this little giving me the time to think and you're starting that story, it, it led me back to something kind of similar, which was really one of my very, very, very first paying production type jobs. And um, it was for, this was back in the early nineties when, you know, you couldn't, you couldn't change channels on a TV after 11 o'clock without hitting, you know, a dozen of those one 900 numbers, I guess they were. Yeah. Back then. They, don't, they don't really see that much anymore, but, um, and so, uh, I was a I was waitering I was a waiter in the evenings during those during those days and make make a little extra money and one of my regular customers um, I found out that he was making a fortune in these nine hundred numbers all different kinds so we were, we were chatting about you know what I was interested in stuff and and he said well why don't you come out to one of our shoots and you can help out which I thought was great because I wanted to get in the business mm -hmm. 
the business, meaning the video business. There are many and, businesses. Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> so I showed up. It was weird. It was a it was a late call. It was like 7.30 at night. And I show up and it was kind of a nondescript corporate office space. And I walked in and there's guys, these guys are setting up and there's essentially, there's like a, like a day bed, you know, <laughs> just sitting there. It's like, that was the set. It was just like some day bed and all these hot lights are on it. And, um, you know, I showed up and they said, okay, you're going to run teleprompter for this. I'm like, okay. And back then the teleprompter was literally on a, like a scroll, pa- like a paper scroll. Yeah. And it had like a, like a camera over top. It was really, you know, not like the teleprompters <laughs> today. Um, it was bizarre. And, uh, and, um, in walks the this actress, you know, scantily clad young lady, and there was no nudity involved in these, so the story mm-hmm. is safe. But man, it was weird, and that was my first introduction into what's going on, you know, in the live production. I'm like, oh my god, like this isn't necessarily what I had in mind in terms of uh, getting into the business, <laughs> but that was my my entree. And and to be honest, in a very in a very um, sort of disjointed way, that. My, I, my early contact with that guy led me five steps down the road years later mm-hmm. into really getting into the business with a real, you know, with a real production guy and everything. It was just crazy how it all worked out. But that was my first, yeah. that was my first, and it, you know, my first uh, <laughs> live production professional experience. I got paid for it. I think I made like, I don't know, 150 bucks or something like yeah. that. And, uh, yeah, that that was it. So it was kind of similar. I wonder if all these. I wonder if everyone gets in the business this I, way. It's kind okay, of okay. So this is honestly, I think this is what happens. So if you're if you're an accountant, you are not going to have one of these stories about <laughs> how you got into being true. a CPA. It's not going to happen because you haven't met my accountant. Well, I don't know. I mean, it might be it might be a swing <laughs> in place. But when you have a creative field, right, and you and you see the um, kind of. I was going to use the wrong term, but you see all these ancillary industries that crop up around it. Mm-hmm. If you go out to California, you realize like the San Fernando Valley uh, is is just chock full of you know porn companies that rent houses and mm-hmm. do those things. But it's it, it these are people who have a technical skill and they apply it somewhere else. Right. And so the cottage industries around IT and streaming, all those things that came up through the internet, were driven by these these other types of industries. But it's because it's a creative industry, and not everybody is you know it's hard to crack those industries. So people yeah. tend to, you know, kind of go from different directions. Mm-hmm. I think that, I think that's true, but I also think that the grit involved in doing these types of jobs is high because they're, you know, it's a weird field, right? Yeah. You know, you're mm-hmm. constantly looking for the next challenge. You're trying to, you know, find a different way to tell these stories. You've, you've been a guy who's moved from, you know, video into internet. Some of us have, you know, we're about exactly the same age, but there were people, you know, half a generation before us who shot on, you know, full-blown film and went through that to video. Mm -hmm. So, so here's what I'm going to, here's kind of where I want to start to, to wind up this portion of the interview is what do you think is next? You know, as you've kind of moved into podcasting, as you've seen, you know, the internet kind of storytelling explode, as you see Netflix and Amazon and, Mm -hmm. you know, Apple TV, um, where's it going? What do you think is the, the, the next way to tell stories or, um, are, are we going to see something that's going to be even more different or revolutionary? Wow. That's a good question. Um, well, I've been saying for a long time that it's, um, it's, it's become so much more accessible. It went back when I started, um, if you wanted to do any kind of video that had any bit, any kind of quality at all, you had to work with cameras that were $75,000. You know, mm-hmm. you had to work with a 30 minute tape. You could record 30 minutes on a tape that costs you 25 bucks. Yeah. Um, you know, editing equipment costs uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars even. Sure. Um, to get what you get today on, you know, a $1,200 laptop. Mm-hmm. Um, and so- you know, I remember when I was coming up, um, when I was still young in the business, there were a lot of the older guys who were complaining that things were moving from film to video. And yeah, yeah. they said it would never happen. It could never be as good. The quality is never there. And here we are today when, you know, Hollywood is working on, or it's not really working on film anymore, right? Mm-hmm. You know, at the highest levels of, of production. Um, and so these things change. And so as I was getting older, a lot of the, a lot of the guys that were my age were starting to complain about how, um, all these young kids are coming in with these little handheld cameras and they're doing all this stuff and they're getting all the attention. They were getting angry because, you know, 
how am I going to charge my clients all this money when, you know, this 16 year old kid is getting, you know, millions of, uh, followers and stuff. So, Mm -hmm. you know, and to me it was always about, um, you know, that's, that's progress. Um, if you're trying to make a business out of this, then those become your tools. You shouldn't be fighting against that. You should be bringing those tools in. You mm-hmm. Hire that young kid. Have that kid help you tell the stories in 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 a way that's going to work with his generation of people. So I never, uh, I never railed against that. I always thought that it's part of the progress, and you you had to move with it. Um, mm-hmm. And and so what that what that has brought is the accessibility of video. You know, this exponential growth in the quality that you can. Uh, shoot in the you know the video quality and the, at such an entry level price point you could do great stuff on your phone now that looks great yeah um, that has that has changed things I mean all the rules about how you had to edit how you had to shoot how you had to light they're just they're gone they, they just don't exist anymore mm-hmm. um, now you don't you know you no longer work within those rules you work within this idea of like well how do I want to tell my own story and then that's it and that, that's how you tell it so um, I think it'd be hard to put any kind of like uh, um, definitions or boundaries around what might happen in the future. I just think that it's going to like, you know, just when you think you've seen it all, I think be prepared to see something new and different. Mm-hmm. So, well, did you hear about Quibi? I mean, you're familiar with Quibi? I, I, was, so, I, I mean, I knew enough about it, um, but it's, it's defunct now, right? Didn't I hear that? Yeah. yeah. So here's what happened. So Katzenberg set up, he raised $2 billion to do this short format network one of the first or, or yeah i guess it's a network it's a video network um and all the stories were going to be short episodic stories that they would string together kind of like a netflix series but it might only last 12 minutes right. and the big one that i thought was fascinating was they they reshot the princess bride with everybody in quarantine right. all right. these different famous people right so you yep. had you know just amazing people mm-hmm. shooting on their phones in their houses and they yeah. did a great job i mean the, you know it's like that stunt person thing where they, they all punch each other and, and I, and then it failed and they burned through $2 billion in six months, you know, but I think that's the business side of it. What I find fascinating is, um, Netflix and Amazon, not the, the movies necessarily, but the series. I love the idea of a, um, like the good life Mm -hmm. where you've got 24 minutes and they're now writing these things, so it's almost impossible not to have the next episode tee up. Yeah. So it's it's yeah. not it's not like you know tune in next Tuesday to find out you know if Potsy gets the girl or if Ralph mouthed us <laughs> right. to completely date myself. Right. Um, and uh, <laughs> I know what you're talking about. So. Mrs. Cunningham turned ninety two the other day, so I'm just going to wow. put that out there. So happy birthday, Marion, Marion Ross. Um, but but the the way that they're telling stories, so that short, kind of discrete episodes, then go to connect to another discrete episode, and then there's a payoff. Yeah, that stuff fascinates me, and I know you've been doing this for a while with clients where you're adding a piece to this and you're telling the next, you know, the series approach. Um, So I I have a, I do have a perspective on this and, um, and, and I've, I've said so much to clients and I, you know, I either directly or indirectly, but you know, there's the type, you know, the, the, the broad, um, array of of styles and techniques and, 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 and looks and, content that we see now it just it keeps getting bigger i think it's very important for um any anyone involved in the production of new material to to stay true to to what your to what you are what your messages mm-hmm. are As it, sometimes i mean especially in the early days when when the internet was really taking off and and the social media stuff was taking off i saw a lot of companies try to ride that wave yeah. And they couldn't do it. They couldn't do it because they didn't come from that. They came from this sort of, you know, very straight-laced, stodgy corporate world, which was great mm-hmm. for making lots of money, but wasn't great for telling, you know, fun, compelling video. And they, and they you know, they they tried to be, um, you know, they tried to be YouTube sensations, uh, and they weren't. And they would fail in those endeavors. They would try, and it wouldn't work. And and I think when in situations like that, when you when you and I say you, not you as a person, but the whatever entity mm-hmm. is trying to tell a story. When you get away from the core of who you are and how you tell, 
how do you get your messages out there? You know, you risk you risk losing the message for the sake of of trying to be something you aren't. And so, you know, you you take something like Quibi and you have a lot of money and not the money brings on well-known people, people who've been in mm-hmm. the industry forever. And now these people who've come from Hollywood and making great movies, and you're asking them to grab a phone and do episodic stuff. And, you know, I think to an extent you're going to get some really cool stuff because they have this such great high level experience, <laughs> yeah. but it's not, mm-hmm. it's not really who, who they are. I mean, no. who, who are you trying to, who you, who you trying to you know pull in with these messages? I mean, you're creating, you're using well-established stars of a certain age who have who are known and appreciated by people of a certain age doing mm-hmm. stuff that's typically done by people half their age, and it it doesn't always um, it doesn't always work, you know. Yeah. And and I I wonder if Quibi maybe took too many of the hot things and tried to put them all together, and mm-hmm. it was just too much, you know. So. I don't know. I, I, I sometimes I'm just overwhelmed by the whole episodic thing. To constantly have to tune in. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it used to be turn on the TV, see what was on, or you know, look at a TV guide, or look at the yeah. the guide on the television, and say ah, that's the show I want to watch. You turn in a certain day of the week, and um, now it seems like there's especially the younger my kids. They they don't watch anything based on what time it's on or what channel no. it's on. They don't not at all. They watch what they want to watch when they want to. Um, but it didn't work for me, you know. And if there's people out there like me, you know. My kids don't have the money. They're not buying products. You know, people mm-hmm. in their 30s and 40s and 50s are. And if you're trying to you're trying to reach out to them in a way they're not used to it or don't appreciate or don't like or can't wrap their heads around, it's it's probably, you know, doomed to fail. So Yeah, I th- I to me, what I find fascinating is um, you know, people like Kevin Smith, who, you know, got his boss to allow him to shoot inside his uh convenience store. And mm-hmm. so he made a movie by maxing out his parents' credit cards for 40 grand. Like, that's an interesting story. Mm-hmm. Orson Welles, who, you know, does the War of the well World on radio, and they say, right. okay, well, you get one shot, you can go make a movie. And so he literally, you know, doesn't like the camera angle that they have in the studio. So he goes and rents a jackhammer and jackhammers out the floor of the studio to put a camera <laughs> right. lower. Yes. Like, that's a guy who's like, he doesn't care about breaking the rules. Right. And I, and I think that now, because you're getting more inclusivity, um, you're yeah. getting more points of view from different parts of the world, from people who, you know, you, you wouldn't see a woman from the subcontinent who had access to tell her story about what it's like to be in the caste system in India. Right. And now you can get access to that story. And it might be in Hindi or another, you know, Urdu or something like that, but you can get the subtitles of that. Right. And I love the idea of, of people who aren't of the media coming in and playing with it new. Yeah. Yeah, then taking you. somebody who's great at doing something, you know, and throwing, you know, uh, Martin Scorsese into, you know, Quibi or Quentin Tarantino right, into, right. you know, so I, that's the part as an older guy, yeah, you know, middle-aged, if, you know, I live to be very old, <laughs> um, right. to, to watch new people like here, take this, what are you going to do with this? Right. You know, how are you going to play with that? Um, so, you know, we started this where you were complaining that, you know, if it only runs a half hour, that's fine. Or maybe if it runs, <laughs> you know, 40. So we're at, we're at the 45 minute mark. Yeah. So I'm going to, um, I'm going to end with the thing that I always end with, um, which is so what now what? So mm-hmm. what that you started the podcast network? So what that you started it because of you wanted an interest and an engagement in social issues. So what have you learned doing this? What surprised you? <laughs> um, what surprised me was uh, well, there's a lot of things that surprised me. Um, what didn't surprise me is, is knowing, you know, the, the time and effort it was going to take to commit to, to, to doing regular shows. It's tough. Um, what does surprise me is um, the folks who got on board and who are seeing the commitment through as long as they can. I think that's great. And I'm not. It doesn't. This part doesn't surprise me. Um, but I always love it so much when I watch people evolve. Uh, you know, again, being being on the outside and not worrying about, I, I, you know, I not worry about being on the microphone. This is the one and only time you're getting right here. Um, <laughs> but um, I I love watching the people I work with grow and get more comfortable with what they do to find their mm-hmm. voice, to find their perspective, to find their own style, and then yeah. to start bringing that um, into what they do. It's always it's always tough at first. The first couple of podcasts. 
um, or even, you know, if you're doing multiple videos, the first few are always tough. And mm-hmm. the most important thing you can do as a producer and director is to um, reassure that person that, you know, um, listen, it maybe it was rough, but it's going <laughs> to get better. So yeah. it, it doesn't mean it's always going to be rough. You will find your way. You'll find your ways. It's experience. And it comes with you. And, and I love seeing that. I love seeing the growth that people go through. Um, I love um, looking at, at ideas about starting new shows and finding people um, that could fit the bill. Mm-hmm. You know, I like convincing people who don't necessarily want to do it and, and getting them to try it and then seeing how they grow. Um, and mm-hmm. I just think, I think it's really, it's really cool. I mean, um, I, I love that part. I want to continue to do it. I want to have more shows and I, you know, there's people I want to work with. It's just, it's, it's tough when you have, uh, you know, you have uh, an entire life out, outside of what's happening on the mic that you have to, uh, you know, you have to deal with day in and day out. It's tough to commit to a regular show, but uh, it's great to, it's great to do these things. Well, it is. And I think if you have somebody who can, you know, poke you, you know, every once in a while to, to, to get you to do that, they'll find different people to put, you know, on the mic, mm-hmm. they'll find people to put in front of the camera, but, but it is, it, you know, back to the original thought, it's a, it's a collaborative effort. You know, mm-hmm. I can, Absolutely. I can show up. The reason why I haven't done one of these is I didn't have, I don't have the capability that you have to produce them. And I don't have the tenacity to bug myself the way that you can bug me so that we, we do these things. <laughs> I think um, there's a compliment in there. I'm not sure. And there is a compliment. <laughs> we can unwind it later, but, 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 but maybe this is where we can, where we can yeah. end. Um, the, now what flash forward a year from now, what would mm-hmm. you like to see? Um, uh, maybe post COVID, um, you know, maybe post election. Um, what would you hope this becomes? You mean this particular podcast or just my, the podcasting efforts in general? I you mean, tell me. Doesn't yeah. Matter. I mean, you know, my ultimate goal was to have a, again, what I call the podcast network. And that mm-hmm. is, um, to have a host of shows because I, really I, there's no better feeling to me as someone who's, who's again, I'll say behind the camera, behind the microphone, behind the scenes, a producer, there's no better feeling for me than to bring, to, than, than to find the creative voices and give them an opportunity to get their message out in the best way they can do it. It's, it, it's, it's a great feeling to come together with someone and together put something out. You know, you have the, the technical side, which I like to fill and, you know, with the creative and messaging side, which I, I always like to I find people who are good at doing that. Um, and I want to keep that going. I'd love to have, you know, half a dozen shows that we do on a regular basis. Um, I, I, I continue to do the video work and, and, and that kind of thing. Um, but, you know, I could see myself slowly transitioning to, to doing, you know, all, putting all my effort into the full-time podcasting if, if it can be sustainable. Um, and to have a, f- a few good shows and, uh, and to keep those shows going and bring, keep bringing new creative voices, um, to, to the public. So, and I want to add, by the way, for all those listening here that, so this show allies is not my show. This is our show. Carmen and I came to this, we built this thing together on a call one day. Uh, mm-hmm. I'll never forget. I was outside underneath my blue Atlas here looking up, hopefully thinking to myself, you know, how can I stop the, uh, sap suckers from putting so many holes in it when you <laughs> called and the first word out of Carmen's mouth was the f- first thing you said when I when I said hello on the phone was how quickly can we get a podcast together and that's that's how allies came together yeah and um you know it, it was all starting when the whole George Floyd thing was happening and um and uh, I said it's funny you say that Carmen because just two days ago I was thinking the exact same thing and I I <laughs> I, I grabbed this this domain for this name allies. I said maybe we can use that. And within a couple of days, we had our first recording, and probably within less than a month, two, three weeks maybe, we had our first yeah. episode out. And um, so this was a great. I mean, this is this is how this is how I see these things coming together. You know, um, I, you know, when someone has an idea, same thing happened with um, guests in the house. You know. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, it was actually, I, I met the hosts because I was, we were doing an episode of a different podcast, Writer's Latitude with Joe Samuel Starnes. Um, and he was hosting uh, some discussions with authors at a book fair here in Collingswood. And I met these guys and we were chatting and I said, you know, uh, you guys ever think about doing a podcast? And they looked at me and said, it's funny you should say that because we've been talking about it. So mm-hmm. um, I don't know, sometimes sometimes you're at the right place at the right time or, or, or you just... 
there's a, a, a certain situation just sort of appears out of thin air and it, and it just creates itself right in front of you. And, and, yeah. um, you know, sometimes you're in the same room with the people who have that same vision and then it just comes together quickly. And so, um, that's, I mean, there's something very exciting about that. It's, it's you know, about seeing that, that idea develop almost, um, you know, when, when more people who from, from different places come together and have the same idea and that the light bulb goes off simultaneously. And it's like, wow, there's something cool that can happen here. So, that's the exciting part. Well, and 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 for me, that's the that's the best way to end this. You're you may not hear Anthony on uh, on the mic, um, but there is <laughs> there is not a an episode that goes out where he is um, not actively engaged, not just with making sure all the technical things work right. He's he's making the the guest feel comfortable. He's going through and um, and and telling them to relax and to uh, to respond spontaneously and and actually kind of um, bringing down their own stress level. Nobody you know comes into these things without being a little bit nervous. So I want to I want to thank you for that. And I'm not going to get off the the podcast without one last little bit. It, if I had to put you on the spot and say, out of all of the members of the Trump administration, which one do you think could pack <laughs> vegetables <laughs> or fruit better? <laughs> well, my guess would be Kellyanne Conway. Why would you say that? <laughs> um, this is just so crazy. I worked in the town I grew up in. Um, farming was the main industry, particularly back when I was growing up. Um, in my high school days and, and before, you know, that's what you did in the summer. You worked on a farm. Everybody did that. And most of them were packing houses for blueberries because uh, because Hamilton is, as you may know, the blueberry capital of the world. So uh, one summer, uh, I, it was only one summer that I worked at this particular farm. And um, Kellyanne Conway uh, worked there before she was, I guess, before she was Conway, right? Um, right. That's her married name. Yeah. yeah yep. That's yeah. her married name. Yeah. yeah. And, um, I mean, I can, I can tell you this, she was a dynamo. She -hmm. was one of the fastest packers I've ever seen. It was, it was crazy. She was driven. There was no doubt. Uh, so, um, I guess she was destined for, uh, bigger and better things than blueberry packing. Kellyanne Uh, Fitzpatrick back (laughs) in the day. That's right. Yes. She was Fitzpatrick. Um, if, if she had only stayed with blueberries. Um, <laughs> yeah, but it might have been a safer bet. <laughs> might have been. Uh, well, that that's all the time we have yeah. um, because Anthony told me I couldn't go over, uh, and it's at fifty four minutes. So thank you so much, Anthony. Thanks, um, for everybody, for everybody out there, uh, thanks for tuning in. Uh, this is probably my my favorite episode uh, because I just love the idea of uh, <laughs> of making Anthony come on, uh, and, on squirm. The and and talk, and he, and he was wonderful. Thanks, so thank you so much. Um, please, as always, let us know uh, what you like, what you want to hear, uh, and if you have any stories that you want to tell let us know because we are very much interested in telling stories that uh, talk about how we can be allies with you and you can be allies with other people. So that's all the time we have. And thanks for tuning into Allies. Allies.